This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth brings you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price that you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. I've been really enjoying the Huntworth Shelton hoodie. It's one of the grid fleece hoodies. Um, it's got the built-in face mask. I've been wearing that and uh, along with their base layers uh, for, uh, you know, <laughs> we're in Michigan here. It's the perpetual winter, spring, winter, summer, winter. Uh, so we're back in the teens. I uh, was out all weekend um, at our property up in Baldwin, and it's got three inches of snow. So it was 70 degrees a week ago, and now we got snow again, and it's just going back and forth, back and forth. And that hoodie is really one of my favorite pieces of gear that I've had uh, from them for this time period that's not just hunting-specific. Uh, really like their cold weather gear um but that's more for hunting obviously um definitely check them out if you haven't got a chance to get your hands on any of the Huntworth stuff um certainly worth checking out and they're giving away one of those hoodies uh, along with a jacket uh some of the durham pants that i wore uh, in ohio when we were shed hunting and uh, doing some scouting and great pants uh, and gloves and uh, a hat complete package they're giving away for this month's or this quarter uh, our quarterly giveaway through patreon and uh, you got about five more days to get signed up for that um, probably second week of april we're going to draw for that uh, big shout out to our latest patreons <laughs> actually uh, oddly enough this week's guest signed up for patreon we recorded this one back a few weeks ago and uh josh mapes has signed up for patreon uh kind of like what i said putting your money where your mouth is you know supporting the guys that that uh you want to see succeed and really appreciate josh for that and then brendan delger brendan and brendan i, I sent you out a medium shirt i've met both of these guys and 
Um, if that one doesn't work out for you, let me know. I'll get you a, a larger one, but I just kind of guessed on your size there. Uh, but for Patreons, we send out a, a swag pack, uh, kind of like a thank you for everybody that signs up and we do quarterly giveaways. Patreon is crowdfunding for creators. It helps us to be able to do everything that we do, like the cookout at the total archery challenge. We're just trying to figure out our menu right now. I think we're going to do pork butt like we did last year and then uh, some smoked queso dip courtesy of uh, Robbie. Uh, he he was showing that off in the Patreon Marco Polo group and um, I think that'll be a great addition for uh, for the cookout for us there. Well, that's going to be Saturday uh, night at TAC uh, in Michigan. So if you guys are going to be up there, uh, whether you're a Patreon or not, just swing by. Uh, Greg Litzinger's uh, staying with us all weekend. He's going to be there, and um, you know we're just going to be hanging out, drinking beer, and uh, kind of having our own little after party. But um, like I say, Patreon is crowdfunding for creators. It's like 17 cents a day if if you want to help us out, um, and we have some amazing giveaways. Like I said, that huge package from Huntworth we purchased from uh for this giveaway uh, i've been shooting a longbow quite a bit and we purchased a bear montana longbow selway archery gave us a quiver for it uh, tom taylor built us a set of arrows and got a tab set up so this is an amazing package bear archery sent a bunch of accessories arm guard and a, a stringer for this so we're giving that away as well. Spartan Forge. So you've heard us talk about Spartan Forge a ton. Uh, artificial intelligence for the deer woods. Spartanforge.ai. Check them out. Amazing mapping. And uh, they're building out right now. We can go online and you'll be able to do the mapping online as well. And pour over your Onyx or base map pins uh, right into Spartan Forge. And the layers that they have, the imagery is just incredible. Definitely worth checking out. You can go to SpartanForge.ai and check them out. They're giving away a one-year subscription to that service. Zingers, we just got some new zingers in. John's going to shoot uh, the Magnus Bullheads at Turkey's. Um, and they made some six-fletch. Uh, they call them turkey turbines turbines for, for that. But uh, whatever ones you would like, we're giving away a set of those. Lucky Buck, we're working with Lucky Buck. I just got a ton of stuff from them. Um, some of their, uh, obviously the mineral and their perennial uh, kind of clover seed mix there for food plots and stuff. Uh, going to be headed up to our property in the UP to put some more of that out and get things going for this uh, upcoming season. But Lucky Buck, they're giving away either some of their mineral or if you can't use it in your area, if you're here in Michigan, uh, some of their food plot seed, just, uh, you know, all of this is giving back to our Patreons. You know, we're trying to do as much as we can to say thank you for, for that. So, um, if you want to check that out, it's patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, or you can check it out uh, on our website, bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com. But we really do appreciate it. It helps us to do all of this testing, all of this new gear, um, and, uh, kind of travel to do some of these, uh, shows and, and uh, mobile podcasts, all that sort of stuff. But if not, no big deal. Just tell somebody about the episode. This episode is some, one of the more uh, requested ones that we've had. 
not necessarily archery related, but uh, predator hunting. And surprisingly enough, Josh says in this one that his favorite time to hunt predators is in the summer. Um, coyotes in the summer, and uh, you get into that on the podcast, but that's one of the things I took away. I really enjoyed this one. I don't know anything about coyote hunting, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. So, um, again, everybody, thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. And today, so you've heard me talk about this this uh, pop up twenty eight pack and this guy who I traded this pack for, and then he wouldn't trade me back, and then he's the only guy that I know that has actually tried saddle hunting and quit because he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn and he blamed the saddle. And it turned out that this guy has like 12 bazillion views on Facebook and his reach is huge. And he's like this big time coyote slayer. And apparently he can shoot, but not, <laughs> not out of a saddle. So it's got to be the saddle's fault. Um, and, and that is the best intro that I can give you for, uh, Josh Mapes from Overdrive Outdoors. So how are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing good. Thanks for bringing all that stuff up in an intro. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I got to let them know like where this is coming from. Like, you know, it's a bow hunting thing. Like here's a predator hunting guy. And I've had a lot of guys that have asked about predator hunting and this is going to be like, probably come out like in the midst of turkey season. So we'll keep that in mind. You know, as as we talk about this, um, but yeah, so like, what's your history with like hunting in general? Uh, you've listened to enough of the podcast, like, so where when you started hunting, like, what's your like like background? Man, my start in hunting, I remember for a long time just watching my dad walk out the door and then come back. And he was going hunting all the time. Uh, unfortunately, my dad wasn't the best hunter. <laughs> he, uh, it took him, man, I think I was 12 years old when he finally brought home his first deer. And he had always taken us around and, you know, taken us out scouting to get away from the house and go walk around the public lands. My dad started off on public lands just like I do now. And, um, you know, that's pretty much where I remember being a part of hunting is going out and scouting, helping my dad set tree stands. Uh, he'd take me out occasionally before I was old enough to bow hunt and I'd be standing on a limb next to him in a tree. And I mean, I just, I was raised around hunting always. I was never a part of it until I was old enough to start wandering around with my dad and safely handling like a shotgun. He'd take me out rabbit hunting uh, and then I started bow hunting when I was 12 and coyote hunting. That one hit me hard when I was 16. And man, I just, I kind of switched gears 100%. I, I still love the deer hunt. I still love to take my boys out for squirrels and rabbits, but predator hunting got under my skin and has not left since. So for, I mean, I've, I've went coyote hunting one time, like really set out to go, and, um, it was, you know, we went out like first thing in the morning, set out our little Fox pro and our little, you know, squirrel tail thing out there. And we tried to get the, 
the sun at her back and, you know, made some noises. But we put no, I, I don't know, like, I listen to everything that I can about deer hunting. I have a hunting podcast and I talk to people and, like, I try to, like, learn about this. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, okay, so this will give you my experience as a, with coyotes is, like, one of the first times that I hunted with Frank, I had a coyote come right to the base of my tree, but I didn't even know that it was a coyote. I thought it was the biggest damn fox I'd ever seen, and I didn't know what the rules were, and it had, like, you know, red going down its back, and, you know, it was right there looking around and the whole thing, and I was like, well, I don't know what the rules are on shooting fox, you know, and I'd never seen a coyote in here. I was probably 20 years old or so, and uh, it, you know, we, and up in the UP, we've got... You know, the, we see the coyote tracks and all that, but I didn't think I'd ever seen one. And uh, I, I missed one up there. <laughs> Great story on that one, too. Uh, got a brand new bow. Had a coyote come out there about 50 yards or so. I draw back, hold it about a foot over its back shoot a foot over its back and i thought man this bow is the greatest bow known to man it's so flat it's so flat shooting you know i never shot out to that distance and then you know fast forward one day i got a deer out there at 35 and i hold my pin right on him and i'm like i'm gonna smoke this some bitch this is the flattest shooting bow ever shot right underneath him like, <laughs> okay not as flat as i thought must have hit something on that coyote but anyways like i have no idea like how they work how they um operate and uh when we went out there i think we saw one coyote he just was like a flash it was like he, he knew what was up yep and uh you know when it was like I said in the morning and it's real intimidating as we talked about earlier to like you know you got your rig there behind you it's like you see these videos and it's all you know videoed in the scope and it's at night and it's three in the morning or whatever and it's like who in their right mind you know well, you spent all this money on all this other hunting stuff, you know, you got $3,000, $5,000 wrapped up in a gun. So how does one start? Like as a 16 year old kid, like where you got bit by coyote hunting, like how does that? Well, you know, at that point I had already been, I, I was old enough to start, you know, <laughs> driving around myself, going to stores myself. And honestly, what happened was I went into I believe the local Myers and I bought a Randy Anderson Primos DVD for coyote hunting. And I'm like, well, whatever, just another hunting video. Well, when you watch a video, like you were talking about on YouTube and everything, it videos make it look easy. Videos don't seem to show all the, uh, all the experiences that you have out there that you don't want to have, including the learning curve, which took me honestly four years of hunting i didn't kill one until i was almost 20 years old and i started hunting them when i was 16 but at that point i had a rimfire i had a 17 hmr and I, I honestly think that i bought that mostly for squirrels small game well then i go and watch this video and i'm like man this guy randy he's out there calling in coyotes and pasture in the middle of the day and calling them through the rolling sand hills in the middle of the day. And I'm like, that, that looks easy. So I went and bought hand calls. That's how I started was with hand calls. And you can pick up hand calls from anywhere between 10 to, you know, a hundred dollars for a, a set of hand calls. And 
so I already had a rimfire gun with the scope on it. I had some hand calls and I had permission to deer hunt a couple pieces of private property at that time. And that's where I started. So to get started off, I mean, probably in total, I had maybe $400 wrapped up into it with a rimfire, a scope that it, honestly, it was probably a cheap BSA or something that got me out there started and then hand calls and camouflage I already owned. So that's how I got my start into predator hunting. And that's where most people will start off because like you, you're a deer hunter. You've already got a weapon. You've got a rifle. You've got a shotgun. You've got something that you can legally use in Michigan for coyotes. And that's where a lot of people start off. Now, lately in the last five, six years since center fire at night got legalized, it's gotten a whole lot more people into nighttime coyote hunting because you can go pick up a 223 off the shelf for four or 500 bucks, get a light kit, which is what I started with. I Thermal and night vision when I started doing this was well out of my financial reach. And a lot of it still is. Now there's a lot of lower end stuff coming out that you can get for under a thousand dollars. And a lot of people are really happy with that, but you don't need it all. That starting with lights at night is going to be a very effective way. You just have to learn how to properly use lights. And like anything, there's a way to do it and a way to that will scare off more coyotes than will bring them in to you, you know. Well, let's, let's go back a little bit. Like I, there's a couple questions in there. Like one, like uh, legal method of take. I want to talk about that. And I mean, I would say for most people, you know, when you're talking rim fire and I can't even, I mean, you got 22, 22 mag and 17, right? Yep. Um, so I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about like how in the world, why, did you stick with it for four years if it was just such a pain in the ass? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, I get asked that question a lot, why I stuck with it for four years. And honestly, if I wasn't a hunter, I would have been in trouble. I mean, I would have, I was a kid who wasn't afraid of much. And if that included something that was going to get me in trouble, whatever i did it hunting hunting kept me out of a lot of trouble um and that's honestly why i stuck with it so long i i enjoyed being out there i love to deer hunt in daylight but man something about going out in the middle of the night when nobody else is around going out and looking at the stars and i mean people don't see that unless you're out there in the middle of the night when you get a clear night looking up at the stars and just watching the moon and watching the clouds and listening to the coyotes and all the animals you can see at night, it's, it's peaceful to me. And I mean, I had intend to break that piece with a gunshot and a, a drag back to the truck, but it doesn't happen all that often. Not all the time, at least. Um, but that's why I stuck with it. I mean, I just, if I'm going to start something, I want to, I want to do it right. And that, that for me was something that I love doing, even without being successful I just love to be out there and that's what kept me going the whole time. But yeah, with the, uh, with the caliber restrictions, yeah, you got 22, 22 Magnum, 17 HMR Mach two. 
And I shoot the 17 WSM Winchester Super Magnum when I do take a rimfire out. Down here where I'm at, you're above the rifle line for deer in Michigan. I'm below it. So down here during uh, outside of the gun deer season, and I think it's four days before, so like the, let's say November 10th through the 30th, I cannot be out in a field with a center fire rifle for coyotes at all, um, private or public. Now you go up north and those rules don't apply. Now, while anybody's listening to this, I am not a DNR officer. I have a book in my truck and these are my best, the best ways I can explain it. So, so down here at night on public land, Year round, I'm still required to only use a, a rim fire or a shotgun. If I'm on private land, which is what I typically hunt for coyotes, you can use up to a 0.269 bullet diameter rifle. So I think the maximum, I think the biggest that you can go is a 6.5 Creedmoor. But that was a fight that was put on by quite a few of the coyote hunters. I sadly wasn't as involved as I should have been in it. Had a lot of stuff going on with my own family at the time, but we had a lot of guys that were fighting for it. And the reason being behind that change, and a lot of people you'll see that comment on our posts or videos, they don't even know why we waste our time to drag them back to the truck. It's just a coyote. You're not going to get anything out of it right now. Me as a hunter, my goal, if I'm going to pull the trigger, is to ethically, humanely, and quickly put that animal down and not make it suffer. With rim fires, we struggle with that a lot. We watched a lot of coyotes get shot and run away to die where? We don't know. If they cross a property line, you can't go get them without permission. I mean, it happened a lot. And now with the center fire changes, I shoot 243 AR-10 and a bolt action 243. You've seen my videos. If I hit them right, they don't move. And a lot of times with the rim fires, if you weren't hitting them in the throat or in the head, a lot of times it'd be a runner. And we don't like runners because we want we want to do our best to do it fast, if effectively and humanely. And so let's go into like the guy starting out who's going to, you know, like, like me, for example, they're going to go out and they're going to say, okay, well, like, just like you started, well, we're going to go out in the day because I don't have a thermal. I, maybe I don't know all the rules or I don't have anybody to show me about hunting with lights and all that stuff. And, you know, that, the last thing I want to do is mess up my deer hunting privileges for some stupid dog, right? So, yep. so I'm going to be out in the woods anyways. I know there's coyotes out here. I know there's all these things. So where does a guy start? You're, you know, you, the biggest thing you can do is start by scouting. And I recommend scouting on public land because the same kind of things you'll find on public land apply to private. I, as an example, the thicker cover. I mean, when you start noticing coyote tracks a lot in certain ground, yeah, you'll see them running up and down two tracks in fields and everything, but they're not out there doing that a lot in the daytime. They're out there in the middle of the night doing that. You want to find, when I go scouting, I look for thick cover. You and I both hunt public land. 
If you think that you know where deer are going to bed because of either its thickness or its security cover or whatever, odds are good that the coyotes are going to be seeking refuge in the same spots, especially in the wintertime. They seem to follow the deer around more because the deer create the deer trails and the coyotes can run right down them deer trails like, like there's no snow on the ground at all. So when I go scouting, I, on public land, I look for clear cuts. I walk up and down those edges. I'll put trail cameras out during the summertime to try to find where they're coming in and out of the clear cuts. And they use the clear cuts just like deer do. So when I go to private land and I'm scouting, or I go to knock on a door to ask permission, that's kind of the same thing I'm looking for is just some kind of cover. I don't care if it's a a two acre section of woods in the middle of a 500 acre field, as long as it's thick and it will hold deer, it will hold coyotes. And so I think, I think scouting is probably going to be your biggest helping factor to start out with. And then honestly go out to public land and just try that. That's all you can do is try. Um, You're never going to do anything successfully without going out there and failing at it sometimes multiple times, sometimes for four years in a row. But if you put the time in, start marking down, you know, I've got journals that I keep of where I find dead deer. And if the dead deer are getting hit by coyotes, well, I know the coyotes are around this area somewhere. When you start to put everything together, you kind of start to pick up patterns of where they're going to be versus where they don't seem to spend a lot of time. And you can pull that between private and public property year round and kind of kind of assume where the animals are going to be. If if you're out calling for coyotes and there's no coyote there, just like deer hunting, if you're out hunting a four-year-old buck and there isn't one that lives there, you're not going to kill it. So let let's talk about your those those first four years. Like how many uh close calls did you have? How many coyotes did you call in and then walk us right up to like the first time you you actually killed one (laughs) so so that fourth year the first one i killed was the only one i had called in that i know of now using lights at night i started off in daylight doing it just like everybody else does that doesn't even want to go buy a light you can buy a light for under 200 bucks for a good kit that will get you shooting up to four or 500 yards if you want to. I don't recommend it. It's still hard to identify it that far with a light. But yeah, seriously, I called for four years without seeing any. I know I had gotten some vocal replies. With lights and hunting at night, they have to be looking your direction, just like a deer for you to pick up their eyes. If they're not looking at you, they're running through the woods or running through a field, not looking your way, you probably won't see them. That's where thermal helps me a lot, but not everybody's going to start off that way. So that seriously was my first one was a daylight hunt. No, no, I'm sorry. It was a nighttime hunt. Um, I had called the same way. And when I first started learning to do this, like I said, it was off of videos but we also had an online forum. It was a scrap horn forum that was made up just like uh, archery talk forums. Now um, it was the same thing, but it was for Michigan coyote hunting. And there was maybe three to 400 people on that group when I first got into this at 16. So in 2006, I think 
there's maybe four or 500 people on that whole group. A lot of them were very helpful. A lot of them were daytime hunters. Um, a lot of them come from the UP. So day, daytime hunting up in the UP is a little bit easier because of all that thick cover and the amount of the coyotes, the population seems to be higher. But down here, I mean, I was just learning. I had gone out with a bunch of buddies. I know I had vocal replies, but had never seen one. And, uh, man, I think it was a January hunt. I took that 17 HMR down the road to a piece of private land I had gotten permission on. Started calling with a rabbit. And the biggest thing with lights and learning how to use lights for coyote hunting, a lot of people will scan with a handheld light. And then they've got a light mounted on top of their scope so that they can turn that on to make the shot. When you're scanning with the light, the biggest helpful hint is to never turn the light off because those coyotes can pick up on that light off. All of a sudden, bam, light on. You will watch them turn and run as fast away as they came in. Um, so I was keeping the light on. I was scanning back and forth. And I was playing rabbit distress. And at the time I was using a, a Fox pro game call that I think only had 32 sounds on it. And I scanned down to the bottom of this hill and there's a tree line down there and there's two eyes looking at me. And I'm like, Man, I don't remember seeing that down there a little bit ago. And I kept scanning, wasn't really paying attention because there was a lot of deer there. And I scanned back over and it was now about 200 yards closer in the field and I could see it kind of bouncing. Well, then I got on the gun light, turned on my light and I could tell it was a coyote. Uh, I stopped that coyote at roughly 75 yards, aimed right behind the shoulder with that 17 HMR at the time, squeezed, heard the thud and watched that coyote run probably 200 yards in the light and then start to spin and fall over. And that was my first one. I, I, I took pictures. I was sending people pictures at midnight. Look at what I did. I finally did it. And it's, it's been a hook ever since then. And so how do you stop them? I mean, like what, what's it just, just same as like a deer? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, for deer, you, they're walking by Matt, Matt. Well, I try to make a similar sound to what a coyote sounds like. So a lot of times I'll either bark, woof or I'll howl with my mouth, or if they're coming real hard, real close, I'll just growl at them. And a lot of times they'll lock up. And I mean, they die tired sometimes. And that's, those are my most fun ones. <laughs> uh, so what about daytime hunting? What, what's the first time you killed one in the day? And I guess what, and what lessons have you learned from daytime hunting? Just like that, that nighttime stuff. Um, <laughs> Nighttime calling compared to daytime daytime calling is completely different because the animals act a little differently. Um, they're not as willing to come out into wide open fields, not saying they won't do it. A lot of our first successful hunts, we've got some on our YouTube channel. We're in daylight and we did a lot at in daylight at that point because we could use a center fire in daylight. We couldn't use one at night. So we learned a lot by doing it in daylight, finding their thick cover that I kind of forgot your question though. <laughs> yeah. So, so like your first one that you killed in daylight and like your, yep. your daylight experiences and then tips for. Yeah. So 
So the first one I killed at daylight, my wife had actually, we weren't married at the time, but for thank or for uh, Valentine's day, I think our second year together, she had bought me a Ruger 243 off a shelf at Gander mountain. It was a used rifle. She knew I wanted a 243 for coyotes and she found it for a good deal. And I still got that baby here. Um, I went out to the same farm that I shot the first one at, and it was probably, man, it was probably a couple months later after my first nighttime one. I went out to the same farm, walked out there, and I actually had spotted these coyotes in the field when I was walking in. So I kind of just waited for them to walk off, and there were seven of them in a group all walking in one big line. And I know why now there was a dead deer at the bottom of the hill tucked into the brush and they were all leaving that carcass to go back into their, their cover for the daytime. But I I ended up kind of following them through the field. I was sneaking up the fence line and I cut through the back tree line to the second field in the property. And I set up, (laughs) I think I did a howl and the the woods right there where they walked into just lit up. I mean, it was howls like crazy. And I was shaking like a leaf. I had that 243 on me. And my biggest thing back then was not learning, not paying attention to the wind direction, especially in daylight. I feel like wind direction in daylight is a way more critical than it is at nighttime because they're going to try to get downwind of you day and night, either dire- either time. They're going to try to get downwind of you, but they're going to stick to the cover even more in daylight without trying to come out and present you with a shot or an open opportunity, you know. Well, these coyotes came running back out in the field, and I picked one. I squeezed. I watched it fall. There's six more there. I was already standing up, jumping up and down, going over to get this one, my first daylight one. And uh, if I would have back then known to keep calling because coyotes will come back. They will come check on one that all of a sudden disappeared. I probably could have killed a couple more that morning. Like I said, there was seven, there's still six of them alive. I probably could have killed more of them. The wind was not in my favor. So the wind was kind of blowing right towards where they were at. And that's probably why they were headed in there because they knew that they could be in that cover and smell anything coming out of the fields. Um, and I mean, that I still remember that because that coyote, I walked up to it and I kicked it, you know, like you do a deer just to make sure that its eyes don't blink, make sure it's dead. Well, some of these coyotes had ran up past me kind of after I shot into a big fence line going into another property. And I grabbed that coyote, I threw him over my shoulders and I started walking and I got to the fence line crossing and I heard like a growl. And I'm like, kind of looking and mind you, I'm, I think I was 21 at the time and 20, probably <laughs> I hear this growl and I'm like, man, where'd all them coyotes go? Cause now one of them's right here somewhere growling. And I got that coyote over my shoulder and all of a sudden his tail flipped and hit me in the face. He wasn't dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got this guy over my shoulder. I drop him and he had his mouth wide open and he was trying to get me on the back of the calf. So that's another thing that I learned. Always make sure they're dead before you pick them up. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so you mentioned in there, like a difference in calling at night versus calling during the day. Like how so? 
Um, biggest thing is how coyotes will use the terrain and the wind. Um, at nighttime, we have a vast majority of coyotes. I won't say a vast majority. We try to play the wind as best we can. So our goal at night and in daylight, I guess, is to put the downwind side in an area that forces them to come out and give you a shot before they can smell you. In daytime, most of the time, if they come in from your downwind, you're not going to see them because they just seem to use that sense of smell more to me at night or in daylight than they do at night. At night, we see them act a whole lot more kind of carefree, careless, I guess. They will come in. That We've had videos of them coming right by our trucks. I couldn't shoot one back in December because it stopped and was sitting right in front of my truck where I had just parked and walked in. Um, the scope's in the video of my from my scope, and so is the front end of my truck. They don't, they don't do that in daylight around here. Not very often, at least. If they do, I've never seen it. In daylight, it just seems like they use their nose a whole lot more because they're not willing to come out into the open if it's not for the right reason. Nighttime, they'll come running right in. We've had them come in right downwind. I mean, the whole time, you are you know, if you've ever watched a buck walk in past your downwind and you're like, anytime he's going to bust me, anytime he's going to bust me, you'll see the same things with coyotes. And a lot of times at night, they'll come running right in and you'll know they're going to get you. And sometimes they won't care. But at, in daytime, most of the time, if they get your wind, you wouldn't even know that they were there because you probably it, it's very hard to set up in daytime, like middle of the day around here. I hunt clear cuts on public land in daytime with a shotgun. It's very hard to set up properly to be able to see far enough because in daylight, I'm looking for more cover. I'm trying to get thicker and they can go around you by, you know, 60, 70 yards and you'll never see them. Well, at nighttime, I'm standing out in the middle of a wide open field. My gun's on a tripod. I'm scanning with a thermal, you know, I started with lights and I didn't stand in the middle of the field. I wish I would have, because I probably would have done better, but that is the biggest thing to me that I find is different between day and nighttime is just how much more willing they are to come out and give you a shot. Daytime, you just got to, you just got to set up a whole lot different. And a lot of times your shots are going to be a lot tighter. So it's not the actual sounds or the sequences or anything that you're using. That's different. It's just the way that you're setting up for the approach. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. A lot of the same sounds that I play at night, I'll play in daytime. You know, how often do you go out at noon and hear a coyote howl? Not very often, not here. You can go to Montana, Wyoming, those places and hear it. The population's way higher there. Here, they don't howl like that that often, but I will still go out at noon, go into a clear cut and start off with a pear howl and then go right into a coyote fight just to make it act like all of a sudden there's two coyotes there and now they're fighting and all the coyotes that may be living in that clear cut, they're right there going, time to go find out what that is. And I'm sitting there with a 12 gauge, hopefully waiting on them. <laughs> okay. So it's not always like a... Uh... Uh, a feeding type thing so it's it's not always like you know they're coming in for a meal no 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 and that that i have so i run a lucky duck uh, super revolt caller and i have almost 700 sounds on my call and that's a mixture of rabbit distress bird distress 
uh, chicken distress. I've got monkey distress. I've got weird sounds because it's, it's all about triggering a response out of them. And sometimes those coyotes aren't going to be hungry or they don't care about hearing the rabbit. But now all of a sudden you throw out a howl and that coyote's sitting there like, all right, now there's another coyote in my area where I live. Now all of a sudden you go to a fight or a pup distress sound and that coyote's going, all right, I just had puppies in this clear cut this year. I'm going to see what's up. You, you just got to do what you can to trigger the response and playing rabbit. You won't, you're, you're going to miss out on 50% more coyotes because 50% of them are going to sit back there and not care one bit about rabbit. But as soon as you start going into a fight or a pup distress, it triggers just a different style of reaction. Now it's more territorial and aggressive than it is need to feed, you know? So one thing you'd mentioned earlier about you're hunting a lot of private land and you talked about properties that you have permission on, you know, that's always a big thing with deer hunters is like approaching people to try to get permission. You know, when they say, well, maybe start out for shed hunting or turkey hunting, predator hunting, I have to imagine is a bit different. Like, Hey, let me wander around your property at night with the rifle. Um, so what tips do you have for guys, whether it's for deer hunting or, or whatever, uh, for, you know, asking for permission? You want me to be honest with my advice on that? Yeah. Yeah. To start off, if you're starting off coyote hunting, don't go ask permission on private land. Because if you're going to these people's houses, telling them, listen, I want to come help you with your possible coyote problem, whether they have a problem with them or not. It is way easier to lose grant, lose permission on ground because you're not producing anything than it is to go learn on public land that you, as a license holder, you own that public land. Go run it. Go learn to kill coyotes on that ground. Same with deer. I mean, deer's a little different because, I don't know. I, coyotes, a lot of guys get into it. I still do it in part to save the turkeys, which I don't care two bits about turkeys. I kind of hate them birds. Um, but you know, the fawns we see, we get pictures all the time in the fall or in the spring when, uh, pups are in dens of coyotes walking around with dead fawns in their mouths. I like to deer hunt. And that's one thing that I have always said is, you know, I'm trying to protect some of these fawns because the coyote population isn't going down at all. It, it never probably will anymore. Um, but that that seriously is some some of the bigger advice I will give. Don't go tell a landowner you will and can do something unless you can and actually will do it because word of mouth travels between property owners very, very quickly. And if you do one of them wrong or go to one and say, hey, I can do this, let me hunt it. And you go out there and you're out there and you're out there and you're out there and they're still having problems with them and you're not taking care of the problem. It, it gives a, it, it puts a bad taste in the landowner's mouth. And I mean, it, it, you're, you're better off trying to learn on public, getting it done, figuring out the animals, and then it'll come easier on private also. But for me, I go, I'll knock on a door. And a lot of times anymore, I don't like knocking on doors honestly, because the population of coyote hunters in the area has gotten so big that you're almost constantly going to be stepping over somebody else. And I don't like that. I don't want animosity between hunters. 
it happens a lot in coyote hunting, to be honest. And it's sad. Um, you know, a lot of people step on each other to try to get more permission and try to be the best and try to be the best in the state. And I don't care about that. I just love to hunt. But when I do go ask permission, I, I go right up to the door, I knock on the door and I say, Hey, you know, I don't want to waste too much of your time. I'm just wondering if you've got coyotes back here and you would allow a guy to hunt it. I give them my card. I have business cards made up with all my, my phone number, my YouTube channel, my email, so they can go back and they can look at our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and watch the videos to show that we, we can help with their problem. And a lot of the problems that we get phone calls about are off of dairy farms or, you know, sheep farms or small uh, hobby farms with chickens and stuff like that. They have a lot of problems with coyotes. So honestly, I wait a lot now for Facebook, social media to do its work and people call me that way. But if you're going to go ask permission, you know, just be straight up with them. Tell them what your plan is, what you want to do. First impression is everything. So. Don't go up there acting like, you know, a know-it-all. I can do everything better than everybody else. Don't do that. Go be honest. Don't waste their time, especially on farmer's lands. Farmers are busy people. If you've caught them at a time where they're not busy, don't waste that time because they could be doing something much better than talking to you. So I just get in there, ask them straight up. You know, I'd like to coyote hunt your property if you wouldn't mind. This is my information. Think it over and give me a call. And a lot of times without even leaving their house, you know, I've already got the ground, but we do get turned around, turned down a lot. And it's getting more and more so that we get turned down because it's getting to the point of deer hunting where people are throwing money up for ground, just to coyote hunt on. So, I mean, (laughs) it's going to get tougher and tougher. I'm never going to lease ground for coyotes though. They don't, they're not that important to me. (laughs) I think that says a lot considering they, I think from the conversation, any, anybody would guess that, uh, that they do mean something to you, but, but not. you know, though, I, I just, they're not worth a couple grand for me to go rent out a field just to go call it three times a year in the middle of the night. But there's guys that will do it. There's guys that are doing it right now, leasing land for it. And Hey, <laughs> you got way more money than me. You use it how you want to, but I'm not going to do it for coyotes. So how has like coyote hunting and uh i think i've seen it in some of your posts and you say like um you know you can help people inventory their deer and and yeah. and stuff like that so how has coyote hunting helped you as a deer hunter oh man you know one of the biggest things i figured out at night and like i said earlier i'm using a thermal handheld scanner so it picks up heat i can see i saw coyotes the other day over a mile away at 11 o'clock at night. So I can see all this stuff. But one of the biggest things that I've found with deer at night, (laughs) they don't really care about coyotes. They honestly don't care as much as some people think they will. A lot of people think that a coyote runs in, the deer are all gone. That's not the case. A lot of times a deer will watch them. I mean, they'll keep their eyes on them hard because it's like, you know, at any time that thing could turn on me but they're not really worried about them. But watching deer do be deer at night shows me how often they take the same entry and exit trails into fields. Um, I've got one landowner. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, 
I, I send him videos every year while I'm hunting his coyote or his farm for coyotes because the biggest bucks of the group always take the same exact trail back into the cover as they have the last four years that I've been hunting it. And I know he's set up a tree stand close to that trail and he's had some good opportunities at some big deer, but I kind of thought, you know, if a deer got spooked, it would just kind of take off and get to where it was going as fast as it could. I never realized how, how well they know, even in the middle of the night, right here's our trail. I mean, if that makes sense, I, I just deer, deer are way easy, way easier to pattern than people might think they are because they are animals of habit. It seems like. So how does that translate to, I mean, you're hunting, you know, you'd mentioned before, um, running trail cameras and, um, doing other stuff on clear cuts. So are you deer hunting clear cuts and how are you, how are you doing that? Yep. Yeah, I deer hunt clear cuts. Um, I'm a public land hunter. I don't have any private ground. I got 60, 70,000 acres that I can coyote hunt that's private, but I can't deer hunt, not a single one of it. Um, most of the places that I coyote hunt that are private are already hunted by the landowners or family or whatever. So yeah, I, I deer hunt a lot of clear cuts on our public lands. We have a lot of clear cuts to, to deer hunt, but I mean, I use my trail cameras kind of for the same, for two different reasons while they're out there. I like to get pictures of coyotes and go in and try to hunt them in the summertime. But at the same time, I'm trying to get an inventory on what the deer are doing, where they're at. And, and to be honest, I can't, I can't say that it's pointed anything directly out for me for in the deer hunting world. It's just, I've got cameras out that are picking up deer activity. And it kind of gives me a ballpark area on where I'm starting, but I, I, I coyote hunt a lot. I'll, I coyote hunt inside the clear cuts, not usually on the edges of them. So when I go into coyote hunt one, I'm walking down like an old logging road that goes into the heart of the clear cut. When I'm deer hunting, I'm waiting for them to come out of the clear cut to me into the hardwoods or whatever's out there. Um, I mean, deer love clear cuts. I could tell you that by trail camera usage and trying to hunt coyotes, uh, doesn't matter how big their antlers are. They will get them through some spots if they got to, and they know that that's where the cover's at. Uh, found some of my biggest sheds in some of the thickest stuff that, I mean, it had to take that deer a while to get back into there, into the, into the spots where I found them. But I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when, when I'm out there, coyote, when I out there, for coyote hunting, I'm scouting for deer at the same time, but my mind's on coyotes. And when I'm out there for coyotes or when I'm out there for deer, I'm looking for deer stuff. So, I mean, those two things, I don't really put together too much on public because I don't use them for the same reasons. When it's time for deer season to come around or I want to do my early season scouting, I'll start moving my cameras around to where I think I'll potentially be deer hunting. So a lot of times my, my, coyote cameras aren't in the same areas as I will be deer hunting. I don't know if I answered your question there, but I don't really have a good answer. It's interesting what you said about the, the deer not caring about the coyotes. Cause watching your videos, that's one of the things I've, I've noticed quite a bit. And then this year uh, hunting and I, I videoed these deer. I had these like three little deer 
like a button buck and two yearling does, like right at the base of my tree. Just, I mean, the entire hunt was these deer walked right down the trail that I was on and then they just hung out at the base of my tree and they went over and bedded and I actually got down and got all my stuff packed up while they were still bedded there. And I finally bumped them like as I walked out, but there was a coyote that ran right down the trail that they were, they had come in on and, uh, you know, I was going to shoot him and, uh, he just, I, I thought for sure he was going to come right towards those deer and, uh, he didn't, he just ran on past and like the deer didn't even pay attention. They didn't even care. And he, he was upwind of them. So they, I mean, it would have been, his wind would have been blowing right to them, right, right to me. And like, I noticed them like the deer were like, nah, whatever, just coyote. No. Yeah. See, and, and they, they don't pick on the deer as often as often as people think they do on the fawns when they're just born, because look at how small a newborn fawn is. Uh, we've got a video up on our YouTube that was sent to us from a landowner. It was actually sent to Kevin Rott, my, my partner with overdrive, um, two coyotes chasing an adult buck in, it was hard horned. It was in the fall. And that landowner actually found that buck dead, like a couple of days after he had that video. And they, they team up on them. They definitely, I don't know that I've ever seen a video of a single coyote trying to take down an adult deer. Single coyote will go after fawn. Um, but yeah, when we're coyote hunting at night, man, like that one, I, I guided a hunt on Friday night for a kid that him and his dad had bought a hunt uh, at a banquet last year with me. And I took them out there. And the last field that we got to I told them this is going to be a good field. There, there was 50 deer out in that field when we got there. When I see that many deer, I automatically assume there's going to be a coyote there. And before that coyote came out of the woods, there was a couple deer that had come running out of the woods too. And that automatically told me to be watching that direction because yes, they will spook them out. You know, if a coyote's running right at a group of deer coming down a deer trail, whatever, They'll spook them out, but those deer ran out in the field and then just stood there. And I just posted the video on our Facebook page today. If you go look at it here soon, Adam, um, I pan over and I'm scanning this coyote stand there and I scan over and there's deer standing right there. And the kid shoots the coyote deer still standing there. Like they didn't, they didn't even run from that. They just, it doesn't seem like they go after them hard enough for every deer in the area to go, Oh shit, a coyote. Let's get the hell out of here. Um, we usually watch them. The deer will kind of, they'll kind of walk away and then they'll just turn around. They'll watch it. We've watched deer chase coyotes to us or away from us. Um, a lot of times that's bucks, some bigger bucks that will do that. They'll run them right out of a field. And it's like that coyote didn't even want to try to mess with it. We've seen that. Um, the only time we've really seen it almost get bad was in the UP a couple of years ago. We had, uh, there's like three fawns in this field. They, I don't know if they were just born out there or what, but a couple adult does laying or standing around in the field. And I think we had three different coyotes come into that field that night. And all three of those coyotes went directly to where those fawns were. I mean, like didn't lollygag or nothing, just right to where those fawns were laying. And I thought we were going to watch some does kill some coyotes because they, they were not afraid of those coyotes. They ran right up to them. You'd see them jump up on their hind legs and just start smacking at them. 
And once the coyotes ran off, I think we shot two of them. We walked out and got both those coyotes and those deer were still just standing there next to their fawns. Like almost just like, Hey, thanks for doing that. (laughs) (laughs) So you talk about posting these videos and stuff. And I mentioned it in the intro that you have like 12 bazillion (laughs) views and, uh, like so talk about that a little bit that i mean that's not an exaggeration i mean i don't know how many zeros is on a bazillion but (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot more zeros than we got (laughs) no um yeah we post all our videos and you know there's some people that say we shouldn't do it because it puts us kind of makes us out in a bad light but we don't put any footage out that is gory or anything i won't show i don't show headshots if their eyes are bulging some people like to show that I don't do that. That's not what I'm out there for. I like to kill the coyote, hunt the coyote successfully. I'm happy hearing them. But yeah, we post a lot of our videos and we've got one that's, I think it's at 29 million views right now. And it's a daylight hunt. I went down uh, in 2019. My buddy, Tony Bonnensegna from Mountain Lodge Outdoors, he's from Ohio. Him and I went to New Mexico and uh, the guide, Tony Tebby with Predator University, we were there for four days. And this video, I mean, I've got it coming in and I was using an ATN Excite 4K. So it recorded right through the scope, color daytime, had audio. That coyote comes in and I mean, pretty as a picture, stops at like 60 yards and I throat punched it. And that was the whole video. It was like a minute long, just coyote coming in, coyote getting shot, no close pictures, no close video, no gore, no nothing. And I think it was two years ago, it started really blowing up. Uh, the only problem is, is the majority of the people blowing up those videos is the anti-hunters that got a hold of it. <laughs> but yeah, we, I mean, no publicity is bad publicity as far as I'm concerned. So what do you think about that with like the, the hunters in a bad light, the things being taken out of context, the, like the way that the antis operate, like we talked about a little bit earlier. So the guy, we just talked about um, like that howl for wildlife and the way that the legislature works and being able to actually make a difference. And it's the antis are just basically banding together. And I think that's what you're seeing on yours. It's getting shared in these anti-hunting groups and then they reshare it and make you guys out to be the devil right yeah and they do and and i mean everybody's kind of to blame for it uh both sides are not always perfect the hunting crowd we can get pretty rough and the anti-hunter crowd can get pretty pretty rough um i was telling you earlier you know i got kicked off of facebook for 30 days for saying that i would kill a deer that a guy posted a trail camera picture of. I had to delete a comment the other day of a guy saying that he was going to cut my 11 year old boy's head off and mount it on his own wall because that apparently didn't violate Facebook community standards. So I don't know who's got more money in whose pocket, but I'm thinking it's not the hunters in social media's pocket. Um, You know, I just think, I think people just need to be careful. And I I'm old enough to realize, and I've kind of calmed down in the last couple of years, sort of, I kind of realize that there's people that aren't necessarily anti-hunters that will come on and they might say something that just seems completely stupid. I mean, like, why would you ask that question? But there's a lot of them that truly don't understand 
hunting and don't understand the reason behind it. Um, you know, you go out there and post a picture of a coyote with his ears or his eyes bulging out because you shot him in the head. That's quicker. That's going to do, that's going to be faster at turning those people against us on the other side of the fence than pulling them over. And they were nowhere. They were just in between to begin with. So we try not to do that kind of stuff. You know, we try to put it out there in a positive light and I don't know the the anti hunters, man, they're just, they're an aggressive, very mean bunch of people that I get blown away because, you know, I wake up, I take care of everything in the morning and then I check and I see that, you know, I got five more comments on this video and it's, you're an asshole. I can't believe you'd kill that coyote. What was that coyote doing to you? That deer was just an innocent deer. And then you got the same ones like telling you that you're terrible or that you're you know, such a piece of crap. And I hope God, I hope God paralyzes you and makes you suffer the same death that you cause on that animal. Like you're kind of, they're kind of backwards in their thinking. Like I would much rather go shoot an animal than ever hurt a person, but they are totally for chopping my head off. Just don't do it to a coyote. It's, it's unbelievable. But like I said, there's no, at some points there's both sides are wrong because of how some people can make us look. And we just do our best to not, not put that kind of stuff out there for people to see, because yeah, they do. They take our videos and they form their own. They, they take our pictures from tournaments that we've hunted. And I mean, they like, they like amplify the picture so that the blood looks like it's just so much worse than it was. You know, it just, some of the stuff they do to try to, they try to tug at people's heartstrings more than think logically about it. It's always, it's always think about it from your heart and, you know, that animal's got feelings and yeah, I get it, but they don't understand population control either. And you can't, there's some of them you you can never explain it to. They just won't listen. So I got a question for you and I'm going to sound like the anti hunter here. Um, and, And so what we've talked about, you know, you, you've said that you will talk to hunter, uh, you'll talk to landowners and say, Hey, do you have a coyote problem? And then we've furthered the, the conversation to, um, you know, the deer don't really care that much about the coyotes. Right. So, you know, they're, they're, they're maybe ganging up on them a little bit here and they're, they're eating some fawns. And then I would say that, we are far enough north that many people aren't eating coyotes where maybe in the south it happens more often than you would think. Um, but then for the anti-hunter that would, would bring you those like rational arguments, like how do you like what's your take on it from from that perspective? Honestly, there's some things like that that I don't try to argue with. Because what's the point? I mean, no, I'm not saving. I'm, I'm not saving that many fawns every year. That that's not why I'm doing it specifically. I'm not saving a ton of rabbits. I'm not saving a ton of turkeys. If I was wanting to save those animals, I should probably be after raccoons a little bit more. I I don't have an answer for those because if that's how you that's how you feel about it, then you're you're more than willing to have that opinion. But there's some people that hate you because you go out there and shoot deer. 
Mm-hmm. Why? Why do you need to shoot deer? Yes, your your answer can be because I eat them. Well, just for shits and giggles, I've eaten coyote and I've eaten fox and I've eaten porcupine. I've eaten a little bit of something. You know, if I shoot something new and I read online that it is safe to eat, I will try it. I have done it. Um, but no, I'm not out there for coyotes trying to fill the freezer with coyote meat. It wasn't that great to me. We've had jerky. We've had my brother's had spaghetti out of it. I had backstrap. My buddy Kevin, he had jerky that he made out of it and Bobcat. Bobcat, he said, is really good. Um, but for me, how how do you explain your passion to somebody and make them see past the fact that you're just out there killing coyotes because you really enjoy doing it? I mean, that's what it comes down to anymore is I I love doing it too much to hang it up. I, I know I'm not, I know I'm not protecting every animal out there. I know I can never, and I know I can never stop the population of coyotes from growing. But for me, the passion, I love going out there and I love hitting a howl and I love hearing coyotes howl back to me. I mean, that, that isn't from being a heartless killer. That's from being somebody that I, I love the animal. I respect the animal. I'm I'm willing to put in time and effort and go scouting for, for coyotes that are essentially worthless. Right now, the furs, they're worthless. I'm still taking them home and skinning them and putting them in my freezer, though, because eventually on a rainy day, somebody might want them that will give me five bucks a piece for a skinned out coyote, and I'm perfectly happy with that. I don't like going out there just to kill coyotes, just to kill coyotes. Um, is there really an argument to say that that's not why I'm doing it though? No, but you know, a couple of years ago I was hunting a property, uh, and I called 13, I called 14 coyotes in, in one field. It was one adult with 13 puppies. If that's one adult doing that, and you guys can imagine how many coyotes are actually in this state, you know, how many coyotes <laughs> there really are every year. The population doesn't grow, doesn't go down no matter what we do. They said, I, th- I think it was a uh, scientific research somewhere said that we'd have to kill like 75% or more of the entire population to even slow it down. So anymore, I hunt them because if I don't and other people aren't, you're going to have the same problems. California's having problems now after banning trapping and stuff like that. They're having problems with the coyotes. Well, what do we do about them? What do you think you should do with them? You know, you guys obviously want to go hug them and treat them like big cuddly creatures. Go for it. Go try it. But they need help. And now they can't. What do they say? Well, we want to allow trapping again. You guys should have thought about that before you made that screw up, you know, and made that decision. But they, I I can't, like I said, I can't come up with a, an argument for that. I just let that comment go or I'll say, you know, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. I love to hunt and it doesn't matter. I mean, right now gas at $4 a gallon. Yeah. It bothers me a little more to drive a hundred miles in a night and not see or bring anything home. But at the same time, like I said, if I go out there and I hit a howl and a pack of them howls and I don't ever see them, dude, I love listening to them talk. So there's just a passion. There's a passion for hunters all around that you will never break through to an anti-hunter because they'll never experience it. And they, they're not open to it for the most part. 
So from that perspective, um, like what happens if they do shut down coyote hunting to the population and trapping and all that? And then the other side of that is what, what natural predators do they have? Um, so natural predators, as far as I know, the only natural predators for a coyote really are wolves. And I don't know if there's more, there might be, but I I am, I'm their natural predator now. Uh, (laughs) You know, that they, if they were to shut down coyote hunting, you're going to see a lot more coyotes. Number one, getting into spaces where they shouldn't. I mean, there's a documentary on PBS about the coyote population in downtown Chicago that, I mean, the coyotes just live there. Nobody's going to hunt them. Nobody's shooting them. Nobody's killing them. They walk through downtown Chicago and go pick up garbage and pick up food and pick up whatever they can throughout the whole city. That's what happens when they're not controlled in an area. Um, you know, around here, I've got a farm that I used to, or that I still hunt. I've had permission on it for five or six years. When I would first go out there, this is a big dairy farm. When I would first start hunting that property, when he first called me and told me I could hunt it, it would be nothing for me to go out to one field and see anywhere from seven to 15 coyotes in one field. And this guy owns 20 different fields. Well, then you go one field over, you call in another five. You go a mile up the road, you call in another three. You know, that that's all crowding into these areas. When you start getting all those coyotes in an area, you start getting more dead because they get mange or they starve to death, the population of the small game goes down so far that now they're they're literally hunting for mice and a lot of them are just dying because they can't eat. That's what happens in these other states. You know, like when we were in New Mexico, the population there is high. I think we saw, I don't even know, 40 or 50 that whole week, coyotes called in that we didn't shoot them all. We killed 11 that week. But the amount of them down there that have mange is bad because the population is so high and they transmit that back and forth to each other. Coyote dying from mange suffers a way, uh, a way more horrible death than a 70 grain 243 does. But if, if the population just is allowed to explode, People are going to start saying, well, we need these animals hunted. Well, if you guys voted to take them off of our rights, then now you're kind of just dealing with what you signed yourself up for. It's the same with the wolves. They they took the wolves back away. You know, they 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 won't allow us to hunt them again this year because of a federal judge in California. And you think that federal judge in California is dealing with anything the U, the UP guys are dealing with with wolves? No. They don't have to deal with that at all, but they don't see it from that aspect and nor do they care. They don't care. So population control, it's got to happen. If it doesn't happen, then everybody's going to start complaining. And I'm going to do this until I legally can't anymore. So it sounds like from you've traveled to do some, some coyote hunting. Um, What about wolves? Have you, traveled or tried that or is it on your list or is it all coyotes all the time for you no um honestly we yeah, a wolf would be cool but i mean so would an iowa big old buck but I, I, it's just not worth it for me i don't care enough to um 
if they do a Michigan wolf hunt again, which we hope they will, I'll apply for the tag. And if I get it sweet, if I don't, I'm not going to be butt hurt because I'll be coyote hunting. Um, I mean, no, I just, the opportunity for wolves for me has never really presented itself. We had one Michigan hunt. I don't even remember if that was 2016, 17, somewhere in there that we had one wolf hunt. I didn't apply for it back then. I, I just, it is what it is. Wolf's a, a way meaner coyote in, in my book, but I just know I, I hope everybody that gets to go out and get a tag successfully harvest them because the wolf population is bad and the wolves themselves are, are problems, but it's not a necessity for me. Okay. Well, I want to wrap this up here pretty quick, but uh, what, what's the draw to coyotes for you? That just seems like, it seems wild to me that uh, it's, uh, you know, you, I would think like, man, if they opened up wolves, like, and you're this big into like predators, you'd be like, oh man, it's like a big coyote. You'd be like, awesome. You know, not a lot of people have killed them in Michigan. Like put it on the list, you know, Idaho, they got a problem. Same problem with coyotes. They got wolves out there. They're killing all this stuff. Like yep. let's go out there and put some down, you know, but so what, what is it about the coyote that like ruffles your feathers? Dude, it's year round. It's 24 seven. Um, one of my favorite things about it is these landowners that I do meet. Um, I've met some amazing people through knocking on a door, asking to coyote hunt. Uh, you know, we hunted a tournament end of January and one of the spots we were at was a dairy farm. And we came back after calling one field and he had left us a big old bag of jerky and like snack sticks that he had gotten done out of his cows. And it's like, he, he just did that because I'm hunting his ground for free. You know, that, that don't happen anymore for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, people aren't so friendly nowadays, especially the last two years. A lot of people just try to stay away from each other, but I've met, I have met so many landowners that are so appreciative of me taking out coyotes. They let me on their ground and I've got landowners that only talk to me on phone that I have never once met in person that I've been hunting their ground for five years. And it's just that, I love, and I don't, I don't want to sound like I got a big head, but I love having landowners that know that I will respect them and their property as if it were my own, because that just opens up more doors and gets more people talking. Um, but yeah, being able to hunt them at night in the quiet, in the peace with nobody else around, nobody bothering you. I do deal with police fairly often, DNR very rarely, usually nosy neighbors are the biggest problem, but just being able to do it all the time and talk to these landowners and I take my kids out and, you know, the other big draw to coyote hunting is compared to deer, I'm not standing there waiting for a coyote for three, four hours. I go out and on average, I am done hunting that field. 20 to 30 minutes. If I don't kill a coyote in 20 to 30 minutes, I'm out and I'm headed down the road to another field. So it's constantly active. I mean, a lot of people say, well, how can you stay up all night to do that? Because you're never stopping really. I mean, you're not, you're not going and sitting in a box blind for five hours, waiting for one to walk through. I'm waiting for them to come to me. I'm getting to me as fast as they possibly can. I'm watching them come in as hard as they can. 
the hardest work is dragging them back to the truck. So, I, I just, I don't know. I just love it. So uh, that's one thing I'm glad that you brought that up uh, is I wanted to know, like, how long do you spend in each spot uh, for yeah. hunting? And so for guys that are starting out, you know, you're recommending that they start out on, on public land. Like how long would you say the same thing? Like 20, yeah. 30 minutes and then move on. And then how far does your call carry to that? You can walk to another. I mean, cause I know where you hunt around me. Yep. Um, and it's a big track of land. I mean, so, yep. but how far does that call tr- travel so that you can go and move and set up over here? I think about it like elk hunting or turkey hunting or, or whatever. Right. So, so they say a coyote can hear a mouse squeak at 300 yards. I don't know if that's, you know, been scientifically proven or anything, but that's what they say. So for me, like the area where you're talking about right now, let's say I call the very front field where you usually park before it tees off to the right there. I will call that and then I won't call anything else unless I go straight to the north of that and get to the farthest backfield because my call in a wide open field at night, I mean, it's traveling. I don't even know how long away, you know, we have coyotes vocally respond to us sometimes two to three miles away. And we've heard them, uh, man, about a month and a half, two months ago, I howled really loud and we had been calling this spot for 30 minutes already and hadn't seen anything. So I just got real loud on the call. Like my call will go up to 32. And if you're by the speaker, I mean, you better be plugging your ears because it's loud. Um, these coyotes answered us from, I want to say close to a mile and a half away in a gully in the next farm block over. And we hadn't seen or heard anything for 30 minutes before that. So I said, all right, well, if they can hear me loud, I'm just going to do something else loud. And I got on a fight sound as loud as it could go. And it was like three minutes later, I killed both those coyotes. They came from a mile and a half, a mile to a mile and a half away at a dead run all the way to me in the middle of the night, crossed a busy road with a car passing and they both died tired. And I mean, so in daytime though, when I'm out really thick, I mean, you know, you're, you're calling a clear cut, let's say on the ground, your call is getting kicked back, coming back off of every little branch and every tree that's in there. So if I call one spot and I don't see anything, I might only move four or 500 yards and do it again. That's one way that I used to do it when I didn't night hunt at all. I would go drive around uh, the public lands here on fresh snow days and First thing in the morning, if there was a set of coyote tracks going in, I would get out of the truck and I'd follow those coyote tracks in. And every two to 300 yards, I would set up and I would call for 10 minutes. And there was times where I tracked them two blocks before I called them in. But setting up constantly, you just have to get into that section where they can hear it or where they can hear it and want to trigger off it. Because at a certain point, they're just going to sit there and listen and not want to do anything about it anyways. But then you break over that barrier and they're like, Oh, now it's right there. I'm going to get it. That was a very successful way for me too, for, for quite a while was just doing that. But yeah, I mean, like I said, at night, your call, when we're out in a wide open field, that thing travels a long, long ways, but I'll still only travel. Let's say maybe a mile. I'll go to the next farm 
And that's why having, when you do start off getting ground and being able to produce for property owners, having as much of it lined up as you can is helpful because if I'm on a field and I howl and all of a sudden they howl somewhere else, a lot of times I can look at my maps and say, all right, we can go right up there and hunt this field that's right next to where they're talking. And a lot of times, bam, you get in there, you got a coyote on on the back of the truck, you know? So a lot of times they can hear it, but they don't care. And we've had that too. I mean, Friday night, I know there's coyotes listening to us because there is a lot of coyotes in this area, but it just took that right one being right where it wanted it, you know, where it wanted us to be with a rabbit distress. That's what it took for it to come in. So, I mean, tomorrow I could go to the same fields and call one in on every single one of them. It's a different night and it's, I'll use different sounds. And I mean, it's all trial and error. Trial and error is a lot of it for me, but luckily there's a lot of YouTube videos. There's a lot of tutorials. There's all kinds of free learning material out there for people to get, to get started into it. So you're saying, you know, 20, 30 minutes, keep, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would do. I mean, I was always a 30 minute caller. Well, as I get a little older, I seem to be getting a little more impatient. (laughs) So now I'm like, all right, 15, 20. And, but that's one thing for me too, is I have a lot, I've been doing this for so long that I have a lot of farms to hunt. So if I feel like I'm wasting time, I've got more that we can hunt. We might as well just keep on moving. And I mean, that's just how I roll, you know, but there's been times before when I started up on public land, I'd go up to Manistee and hunt the public, the federal ground up there. And my brother and all, uh, my brother and I sat in one field for over an hour one time calling before we finally called any in. But I also didn't have a bunch of spots to go to. I didn't know the areas. I was hunting public ground. There was just a lot of coyote sign in this one particular area to tell me there's got to be one listening somewhere. And I was a novice. I didn't, I didn't know any better. And I'm glad I didn't because I still called in two coyotes. Coincidentally, we missed both of them. And, <laughs> you know, that's just how it goes. <laughs> um, what's your favorite time of year to hunt? Summertime. Okay. That's probably a, uh, what people wouldn't expect. Why, why is that? Um, summertime, you get a lot of aggressive reactions. Uh, you howl and you get one, you know, that maybe has a, a den somewhere. And it does not want you there and they answer you all pissed off or they come in and you'll see them. I mean, you've seen coyotes running. They kind of bounce when they're running, when they're mad. I mean, they're bouncing straight up. And at the same time, they're throwing a howl up in the air. And I love aggressive calling of coyotes and playing a pup distress sound, you know, like a young newborn or couple month old pup screaming for its life, man, some coyotes you'll see you'd swear they're going to run you over because they're coming as fast as they can. And I, I love that time of year. Plus I go out there in jeans and a t-shirt, you know, spray myself with some off or have a thermosel on. And I am happy as a clam <laughs> way better than walking through two feet of snow. <laughs> All right. So what is your, you know, we always ask what's your bow setup. We'll get into that, but what's, so what you got a rifle there behind you. I'm assuming that's yep. your, your go-to. That's my baby. <laughs> and so what, what are we looking at there? 
That is a custom built 243 AR10. I had uh, tools of the trade, sales and service. My boy Kevin Rott with Overdrive 2, he put that together for me. That's a 22 inch, one to 10 twist uh, 243 barrel uh, from DNA Firearm System. It's a Gibbs side charge upper and uh, lower. Everything's Gibbs, upper and lower is Gibbs. Odin Works handguard, and I'm shooting a currently unreleased thermal scope, so I won't go into too much details for that, but I'm doing some testing on it right now. Um, and I've got every gun that I build an AR in has an adjustable buttstock. Uh, this is a Luth AR buttstock, and I get them adjustable because my kids do sometimes like to go with me. My oldest boy, he's killed two already. He's killed one with that gun. Um, but yeah, that that's my baby. I tell Kevin every time if my wife leaves me, I'm marrying my rifle because I love that thing. So <laughs> why two forty three? Um, honestly, I don't really know. That was just that was the first caliber that stood out to me as a. Well, okay, so back when I first started coyote hunting more. I was a big deer hunter and I didn't know if I'd ever go somewhere for deer with a rifle, but I wanted something that was good for both. And a 243 is a good option for coyotes and deer. That's how I picked up my first one. And I've shot a couple different calibers for two years. I shot a 22 Nosler, which basically the bullet is the same as like a 223. It's just coming out a little faster. And I had coyotes run off from that way more often than I did with my 243. Um, I shoot a 70 grain NBT from first to fight uh, tactical solutions here in Michigan. He loads them for me. Um, and those will take down deer and coyotes. And honestly, if you don't hit bone on a coyote, you're still pretty good with saving the fur. Um, but 243, man, it just the knockdown power of it. It's pretty flat. Uh, my farthest shot with that gun was back in that tournament end of January, 493 yards, and it never twitched. I mean, it it didn't even try to move. It just fell right over. That's what I want because that animal did not suffer. It didn't lay there dying slowly. It was dead as soon as that bullet arrived and did its damage. Um, but that gun also has very little recoil, so my boys can shoot it just fine. A uh, buddy of mine, his son, uh, unfortunately, is dealing with uh, cancer right now, and he was on a he was given a ranch hunt last year, early season, and he took my two forty three, not this one, but my Ruger, and he shot his first deer of his life with that gun. It's a it's a good caliber that kids can get into. Ammo, you can find it right now. It's not the cheapest, but the knockdown power, the knockdown power, and the flat shooting. For me, I mean, I try to keep my shots inside 200 yards on average, but knowing that I can reach out and touch them a little farther if need be, I, I love my 243. All right. Well, let's go into this bow that you can't hit anything with. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. No, no, come on. No, no. Um, my bow is a, uh, I think it's a 2016 or 17 prime ion, um, shooting 70 pounds. I've got a five pin trophy Ridge react sight on there. Uh, limb driver pro V rest, uh, just had some new strings put on it. Uh, prime does free warranty strings every two years. 
Well, my bow had some unfortunate circumstances this year. I dropped it out of a tree stand one morning. That was swell. Um, I just had the new strings and everything put back on it, but I, I really like that bow. I like that bow for its forgiveness, but the only thing I've noticed, man, is the last three years I've had more deer duck arrows than I think I've ever had in my life. And they they added some string silencers on there for me when they put the new string on this year, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to stick with. I'm probably going to stick with that because new bows aren't cheap either, but yeah, that's my bow setup. I'm shooting uh hundred grain Ram Ram cap broadheads with that. Uh, it's a fixed blade, but they kind of, they're kind of an expandable in a way, I guess the, the blades basically fold backwards if it were to go in and not get a complete pass through and they're sharp on both sides. Um, just had really good luck with that. We don't work with them or anything. We just, I shoot what I know works and I don't like to test too much stuff on deer because I want, I want to know for sure what's going to happen when I do decide to shoot something, you know? And what arrows are you shooting? Um, right now I'm shooting, oh man, well, there were Beeman, Beeman, uh, whiteouts or something like that. Now I think they're Easton whiteouts. I don't, I don't know exactly. This is, see, you're way more into this world than I am. Um, I've, I've got some new arrows hopefully being built right now. Uh, I was talking with a company about it last week. Um, I'm going to go a little heavier because I'm shooting 340s right now. Um, and I've got I've got some noticeable noise out of my bow. So I'm going to try to throw together a heavier arrow setup just to see if I can get rid of some of that noise. I don't care so much about speed. There was a time when I cared more about speed than anything. And now I just want one that's not going to try to rip my arm off when I'm at full draw and that buck stops it behind a tree at 20 yards and gives you a five minute window to hold back. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of the plan for this year is just trying out a little bit heavier arrow setup and seeing if I can get rid of that twang of that bow. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still looking, man. I know we've talked over and over about saddles. I just, I don't blame the saddle for the first <laughs> incident. I, I honestly blame the fact that my feet, I think, were too big for the platform that I had. And we had talked about that. I mean, the saddle itself was pretty comfortable, but I've got size 13 boots. And on that little platform that I was trying to stand on, my concern when I was drawn back on a deer was, man, if I take one wrong step, this is going to be real bad. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should have kept all that stuff so I could have kept trading with it, but, uh, I was a little irritated at that point. <laughs> well, I, I just, I always use you in as, as an example because, you know, there's so many people that, that, that will dog it. And there's so many people that give it a chance and then, you know, they, they either it's like another tool or whatever. And I'm like, this guy sold it before he even climbed down. <laughs> like, yeah, like and he, I did. he tried it. You know, so it's it's just a fun story for me, and uh, you know it's obviously at your expense, but you know it's. Okay. Oh, I don't care. I don't care. I will fully admit, I <laughs> I spent as much time in that saddle that year as I could. I had health issues that year. I uh I was in the hospital for a while with what they call diverticulitis, so I lost close to thirty pounds in nine days, and I I just that year was rough for me. I don't think I ever gained back all my strength before deer season. And as much as I tried to practice off that saddle in the yard, nothing ever compares and prepares you for when your heart is pumping, you're trying to be quiet, you're trying to be careful. 
I mean, I should have been smarter and just put it away and not sold it all. But at the same time, I'm like, man, this thing pissed me off. And I killed that same deer three days later from my lone wolf. And that is my story. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I, I love uh, poking fun at guys that I know can take it. So Josh <laughs> is right there. And when you, you'll have to say like where your channel is and everything, but Josh has got some really nice deer hunts and he's killed some really nice deer here in Michigan. And he sends me trail cam pictures all the time. of Like that one, I mean, you got to figure dude, that deer out. Dude. <laughs> oh man. I'm hoping he's still alive. I was actually thinking yesterday when it was 60 about going out there and scouting for that, but nah, my wife eventually to the point where she doesn't want me gone all the time. So I'm like, I'll just gain my brownie points and stay home yesterday. But yeah, that, uh, that Ridge system, man, you should come up here and scout it with me. Okay. I'm in. Should, Let me know. What we should do, what we should do is a little scouting mission and then I'll take you out to go kill a coyote. Hey, I'm in. Sign Sounds me up. Good. Perfect. Works for me. All right. Where can people follow along with what you're doing and, uh, and uh, your videos and be part of the the solution and not the problem on the uh the anti side <laughs> so we are at overdrive outdoors on facebook uh overdrive outdoors mi on instagram we got our youtube channel and you know if you go back a long ways you'll see kind of the the experience level of video editing climb a little more um you know we're still learning all this stuff but we're just right now we're kind of more focusing on the coyotes the predator side of things and trying to be trying to put out more helpful information i'm putting videos together that show like a whole setup and a whole sequence and what happens the entire set um but our youtube channels overdrive outdoors there's probably two of them listed you're wanting the one with the black coyote overdrive logo uh we had last year we had to change our youtube restart it basically because they won't allow you to switch main email accounts to a different YouTube, basically. So I had to shut down the first one to get my personal email address off the account and bring it to the business side. So we started over. We were just under 900 subscribers on the last one, and now we're back at 250. And kind of sucks because it's slow going, but that's where we're at. I mean, we're on, yeah, most of the social media. We're on uh, Go Wild now, too. Um, but, yeah, everything's Overdrive Outdoors, Facebook. Instagram, everything. Awesome. Oh, and, and, and the new overdrive outdoors podcast. I got to throw that in there as you, Adam, I mean, thank you very much. Cause you, you were not, uh, not afraid of sharing some insight with us to get this stuff running. So we appreciate it very much. Yeah. And I mean, these guys really, I mean, if you hadn't figured it out by now, they really know what they're doing. And, uh, as far as the, the getting the information to people, um, you know, that's always the hard part, right? It's like, and, and to be willing to share is, is really just incredible. So, you know, well, I, I, I'm, I'm really, happy to help. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the big things too, with coyote hunters is a lot of, uh, a lot of coyote hunting secrets are just that they're secrets. Well, why? I mean, nothing's got to stay secret forever. If you're, if you're going to keep everything a secret, there's no point in knowing everything either. Um, there's a lot of guys that won't tell you what they do or how they do it. They'll just tell you, go figure it out yourself. Well, that's like me would, when I was getting in the saddle, if I wouldn't have asked around, I wouldn't have known anything. If I didn't have you to say, Hey, Adam, 
what the heck do I do with this? It fits nicely in my trophy line pack better than my, tr- uh, my other <laughs> one that I, I traded you for. But, uh, you know, I didn't learn anything by not having help. And that is where I'm at in my life now with coyote hunting is I've killed enough of them. I've dragged enough of them out of fields. I am happy to help know that you're going out there and kind of, you know, taking that learning curve down from four years to a month. That makes me feel good about being able to help people that way. So, you know, we're not going to be here forever. Somebody's got to know what we know when we're gone. Sure. Well, I appreciate it, Josh. Thanks for taking the time and hanging out. Thank you very much for the invitation. I appreciate uh, appreciate the invite. Yeah, not a problem. 